Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates, listen church, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why should we? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word. Someone say amen. amen. You may be seated. Yeah. My precious uh, wife, Louise, of 31 years, and I have traveled a bit. We'd like to travel some more, but one of these traveling occasions, we found ourselves visiting Italy. And if you've ever been to Italy, you'll always remember Italy, right? Uh, the food is exquisite. Say amen. And they even do a good job of making the food beautiful to look at, right? Right. And as you walk down, you know, when you're in Italy, almost depending on just about any city you're, you're in, as you walk down those cobblestone streets, there seems to be an ocean of bakeries, right? If you've been there, you know, right? And we were drawn into <laughs> a few of these bakeries, uh, and, and for a lot of reasons. One would be because of the sweet aroma of fresh baked pastries. Someone say amen, right? And, and, and we, we were lured into these places, right? But when you think of something, maybe you haven't been to Italy, but you know that sweet aroma, right, uh, from a bakery. When you think of something that's a sweet aroma, what do you think about? You go home to that place where you were raised. Is it, is it uh, mom's apple pie? Is it Miss Tony's peanut butter cookies? You're thinking of something right now, right? Well, today, here's what I want us to do as we look at Psalm 100. It's only five verses. But here's what I'd like for us to do, just to focus our attention on the sweet aroma of gratitude. The sweet aroma of gratitude. And that's the name of my sermon today, the sweet aroma of gratitude. Now, as you look at Psalm 100, it's not a hard uh, psalm to... Uh, to pull apart and, and to study, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's not hard to examine. It has seven commands. They're pretty laid out, easily defined. And uh, there's two explanations on why it is God's people should give thanks to the Lord. Psalm 100, here's what it is. It's a call to worship. Psalm 100 is a call to worship. Psalm 100 is a call to praise God and to thank God for everything that he has done. Would you fix your eyes to the very first verse? Again, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I want you to think of it this way. Here's what it means. It's like I want you to think about what happens when a king comes into the presence of his subjects or the country that he rules and reigns, right? The people would begin to shout 
you know, we don't live in a day and age where there's a king, at least in the United States, we don't. But what would happen if somebody that, that you really admire or others admired walked into a room? People begin to shout. There's a frenzy going on. And I don't want to minimize our Lord and Savior with other people, but I want to drill home the point that there's an excitement going on. Because the people, when they see this figure, this king, to go back to those terms, they are just delighted to be in his presence or her presence. They're delighted to be with him. So what is Psalm 100? Well, according to this verse, this is an invitation for the church. It's an invitation for our joyful God to be worshipped by his joyful people. That's the invitation that is before us this morning. Remember this. You can't just tip your hat to Jesus. You must bow your knee. We must worship. Fully surrendered. That's right, brother. That's exactly right. You know, in this verse, again, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Notice it says all the earth. This verse is claiming the world for God. That's what it says. It's, it's claiming the world for God, commanding even the Gentiles to join in the chorus of making a joyful sound to the Lord. Because every knee will, be, will bow to the Lord, whether they want to or not. One day, a day is coming where everybody will bow to this Lord. Everyone but the Christian will make a joyful noise to the Lord. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. You see the imperatives or the commands here in the Scripture? This is not an option for us as believers. And it's not meant to be legalistic. It's meant to be for our joy. We get to do this. We gather as a church, as a congregation, the ecclesia of people. And what do we do? We get to serve the Lord with gladness together. We get to, again, Psalm 102, we get to come into His presence with singing. With Notice that we're to serve God with gladness. And then we're to approach Him with song. This is not the only way we approach Him, but what it's doing, it's emphasizing something here. We don't just sing songs because we want to fill up the agenda or the itinerary uh, here at church, right? We're being a biblical church as the church and the congregation sings to the Lord. And we want to hear the voices sing. We don't want it to have it so loud where we can't hear. We want the congregation to echo together so we can be encouraged as we hear the voices going up to heaven. So we serve this God with gladness. Not serving with gladness would be disobedience. We're to approach him with song. We're to come into his presence with a heart of gratitude. This is the command before us. And I understand that isn't always easy to do. And I will address but that's what we're commanded to do. I want you to think about this. God, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, he's invited you, he's invited me into his presence to serve him. And I guess the question would be, how could anyone that's a believer receive such an invitation and not be interested? How could we not be interested in that so what is he saying what is the psalmist saying 
accept church, accept the invitation to enter into his presence with a joyful song. Let me say it another way. We are to be a people who sing with gusto. To sing our heads off. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Because of what God has done. Amen? That's what we're called to do. To sing with gusto. Again, why? Look at verse 3. It starts to unpack why it is the Christian. Why it is God's people are to sing this way. Yet it's an invitation for all. It says that, no, verse 3, Know that the Lord, so here's why, He is God. He's God, that's why. It is He who made us, and we are His. He's the Creator, we're the creature that, work, that worships Him. We, again, look at this verse, we are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. How precious. So we know that the Lord is good, but we also must know that he is God. When you know that he's God, you worship differently. He is, yes, high and lifted up, but the text says we know. Brothers and sisters, we know. And to know that he is who he says that he is, that to know that he is God, is to know, is to know and have a firm ground underfoot. It stabilizes us. We become the creatures we were created to be. This knowledge to know is a gift. The Bible teaches us that he will draw men and women unto himself. It is a gift, this gift of salvation. And when we're saved, we want to worship this creator God for all that he has done for us. We know that he is our creator. We know that he is our redeemer, hence why it is we serve and offer, offer up praise of gratitude. That last part of Psalm, uh, Psalm 103, I guess you'd say verse 3b, it says, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So look at the simplistic, uh, look how simple this is, but yet how overwhelming this is. It says, we are his, we are the sheep of his pasture, and he is our shepherd. He's the one who looks after us. He's the one that goes after us when we fall over or we need help. You see the metaphor being used here of the shepherd. The shepherd did what? Looked after the sheep. And we know about sheep. Sheep are dumb. And yes, we're being called sheep. A sheep, when it falls over, cannot get back up on its own. It needs someone to help. To get the sheep back up and sheep are always wandering and the bible is teaching us that he is our shepherd he's going to look after us he's going to put us right side up when we need to be put right side up and when i read this particular psalm i cannot help but think about psalm 23 and i would reckon many of you are thinking about that as well it reminds me of psalm 23 that famous psalm where it says the lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. How about this one? 
still Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Does anybody need their soul restored today? I know the one who can do that. That psalm continues. He leads me in paths of righteousness. How about we replace that? He leads you. Make it personal in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is a sweet aroma. But we know that life isn't always sweet and it doesn't always smell good. There's a sour aroma. And as we look through the rest of Psalm 23, we see the sourness of life. And we'll see some of the sourness of life as we go through the passage. As it says, even though in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah, like that's big time. I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's why. The Psalms are written out of a great deal of pain. These are not people whether we're talking about King David or Asaph, whoever's writing these psalms, remember, this is something where these men are going through heaviness, hard times. But the psalms are honest. They're not fake. They're not phony. And it's in the Word. It's, it's for us to devour and enjoy that we, too, understand how one can feel because we are the creature. In verse 4, I'd like to touch a little bit on sour aroma. It says, uh, and this is sweet, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Pretty famous, right? Famous verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Another name. I like what Derek Kidder says. He says, the simplicity of verse 4, the simplicity of this invitation may conceal the wonder of it. For the courts are truly his, not ours. Yet not only his outer courts, listen, but the holy of holies itself are thrown open by, a, by the new and living way, and we are welcome because we're under the covenant, the new covenant. So it's not just enter into his courts. He's saying, come all the way in to the holy of holies. Sam Storms also touches on this subject well. and I think it would help us for me to share some of his thoughts. He says, a first-time visitor to the temple during this time, or in ancient times, they couldn't help but notice the strong aroma that filled the air. But the fragrance wasn't intended primarily for the people, Listen, but for God. We read in Leviticus that the smoke from the burning sacrifice would ascend toward heaven as a soothing, fragrant aroma to the Lord. God has a great sense of smell, and nothing smells so sweet to him as the gratitude of his people. He continues, God loves the aroma of thanksgiving. He takes special delight in it. In this, he takes special delight in the smell of his people saying, Lord, thank you. When we offer up to God the sacrifice of praise, giving thanks for all that he has done, there is a spiritual aroma that 
fills the entire room, which is eminently pleasing to God. The reason for this is that gratitude always glorifies the giver. Or again, thanksgiving, thanksgiving always glorifies the thanked. Thanksgiving focuses the attention on the goodness and generosity of God from whom all things come. So verse 4 is a firecracker. We ought not just to blow by it. Something is happening. Last week, Pastor Blake preached a sermon uh, from Acts 16 titled, Faithful and on Mission. Did a spectacular job on that text. If you haven't heard that, please go back and listen to both of those sermons. But as Blake was teaching, he was telling us the story of, of, from Acts 16. We learned that Paul and Silas, they were unjustly put into prison. Their legs were put into stocks. And yet we see in that account that Blake broke down for us that they, in this condition, wronged things not going well, yet these men were singing hymns to God during this time. Paul and Silas were teaching us something, that even when life stinks, it is still appropriate to have a sweet aroma of praise. The sweet aroma of praise that was modeled to us by Paul and Silas, it did in fact bear much fruit. Pastor Blake took us through that fruit. I'll remind you of a couple of things. As these men began to sing these hymns and praise God, to have a thankful heart, the other men in the jail cell that were with them, they took notice of what was going on because they clearly looked a whole heck of a lot different than everybody else. They were acting different. It was almost as if they were transformed in their inner nature. They were Their hearts were full of gratitude despite awful circumstances. And brothers and sisters, we're commanded to do the same, but yet it's hard to do. So when I say that I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, but I do believe as this teaching unfolds, I think I'll be able to give you some tools from the Word of God that's going to support you. We were also reminded in that same sermon by Pastor Blake that it wasn't just those in prison that were impacted by Paul and Silas. As Scripture teaches us, the jailer was so moved by the praise and worship described in Acts 16.30 that the jailer took notice and he takes Paul and Silas outside and he says to them, what must I do to be saved? To which they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't get that opportunity unless they are praising God in those difficult circumstances. Beloved, heaven is is not just a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. You know, as I think back to our time in Italy, Louise and I, there was one bakery in particular that offered one of my favorites, cinnamon rolls. Anybody like cinnamon rolls? Okay. Now, these cinnamon rolls, I mean, if, you're, if you've been there, you know I'm not exaggerating. These things were lathered generously and frosting. Can you I just just give me a gallon of milk now, right? So I did what 
any chubby guy would do. I indulged myself on this divine creation. I, I lifted it up to God because it deserved it. I ate that stinker to the glory of God. But after I removed my feed bag, I reached for a moist towelette because in Italy you need a towelette when you get done to wipe away all the excess frosting from my face and my fingers, my mouth. And I say that to you kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's true. But I think many of us, we worship God with a thankful heart after God has generously lathered on us, not ice, icing but, or a cinnamon roll, but he's answered a lot of our prayers or it's been a good week or something happened that would lead you to feel like things are going really well. And it's during that time that we, we say, I want to worship God, I want to worship him with gusto. But yet, if we're being honest, there are times, maybe even today, beloved, where you come into the Lord's house and, and you can't help but think about your life. You can't help but think that life has been extremely taxing of late. And when life has been taxing for a, a prolonged period of time, if you're being honest, that type of pain begins to accumulate. And we begin, unfortunately, to find ourselves drinking from the pitcher of cynicism. I think there's more than one that understands. You see, this pitcher that we drink from, it seems to have been spiked with something. And whatever it is, it smells. It stinks. Because, brothers and sisters, sometimes life does stink. It's part and parcel for the Christian life. Perhaps it's when we are in this place where we think, well, this is a day where it's optional to praise the Lord. I mean, I'm going through a loss. I haven't been lavished in God's goodness or kindness. It's been tough. Surely He understands but we think it's optional. Even perhaps, uh, you know, sin makes us stupid. You know that, right? Certainly makes your pastor stupid. But perhaps we've justified that our lack of cheerfulness, our lack of thankfulness, our lack of worship, uh, we're, we're just, you're just not going to do that because to worship that way with hands raised, if that is you, or kneeling, or just singing loudly, or just engaging with a with the true heart, maybe the enemies whispered in your ear and said, you know, don't, don't do that because that's not really how you feel. And if you do that, you're just being a phony and no one likes a fake anyways. But that's not what God's word says. We don't have to feel. We just have to know. You know, here's a quote from the ESV devotional Psalter, it says this. I think this is going to really encourage some of you that are in a tough spot. The Christian life is not one of painted on smiles, pretending that all is right in the world, when in truth there are horrors all around. Sometimes the pain in life is so great, the thought of rejoicing seems not only distant, 
but a mockery to our true emotional state. Yet, listen, yet we must receive what the Bible says in passages such as Psalm 100 because the Bible itself acknowledges the deep pain of life. Not only in other books of the Bible like Ecclesiastes, but also the Psalms, right? But even more deeply, the Bible gives us resources for for wading through the pain of life with a joy and calm that transcends the darkness. One of the greatest things that we can do when we're in trouble and we're not feeling like worshiping is to worship anyways. Stand on what you know, not what you feel. Let your feelings catch up to with what you know. Is it easy to do? No. As a matter of fact, it's so hard to do that it's impossible unless you have the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And if you are in Christ, you have that spirit. Let me ask you a question that I know the answer to. It's rhetorical. But have you ever been guilty? Don't say yes yet. Of overpraising God. I have. Let me show you uh, something out of Romans 12, 1. It, it should be on the screen. It says, listen, just listen to this voice. Let me just slow down and read it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 100 teaches us that God wants complete and total surrender. We joke from time to time. I'm going to say something you've heard me say more than a few times. But the song, that beautiful hymn we sing, doesn't say, I surrender some. It says, I surrender all. I surrender all. Think of it this way. It's the difference between what a chicken and a pig bring, uh, bring to a, a bacon and egg breakfast, okay? You may have heard this before. It's not new, but it's so helpful. The chicken, think about it. We're talking about the difference between a chicken and a pig, what they bring to the breakfast, a uh, bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken, think, makes the contribution. The pig gives everything. We often try to do with God, what we often try to do with God is give God an egg here and there, but God wants sacrifice. He wants the ham and the bacon. He doesn't just want an egg here and there. So metaphorically, I think you can grab the point of that illustration. Only total surrender can be called true worship. Even when life is emitting a sour odor, we are to praise with a whole heart devoted to our Lord. Why do we, why do you, why do all of us offer a spirit of praise and gratitude to God? This is helpful. Why do we do it? 
What's the purpose of it? How can we do such things when we're getting our backsides kicked, when we've been wronged, falsely accused? How can a man or a woman praise, sincerely praise with a thankful and grateful heart? Why? Why does God want us to do this? Well, there are many reasons, but I will share this with you. When you do that and you push past how you feel and go to what you know, it becomes a superpower. It becomes a superpower, and a superpower in a world that is broken, a world that's injured, a world that's full of pain, a world full of grumblers, a world full of those that have self-pity. It becomes your superpower because you're no longer like them. You are like God. You're not better than anyone. You're just forgiven. And forgiven people obey. Does worship and praise matter to God? Does it matter? Does God really care how we worship? Is it okay for believers to sing with a face that looks like you've been sucking on lemons? Think about that for a moment. Slow down. Start sucking on lemons in your mind right now. Give a baby a lemon. What do they do? That little sour face. They pull back. And, but think about that. Imagine if before we started singing, Joe said, hey, you know, um, I'd like for you guys all to grab a lemon. They're all cut for you. Just start sucking on that real quick. And it would be a while before you're able to engage with, with, with Joe, right? And we say that that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. We're having fun with that. But that sour face, is that the face when you go back to that jail cell? Uh, when Pastor Blake was preaching about Paul and Silas, do you think that's the face that they had, sour faces? No. We know that their worship was one of thanksgiving and gratitude. The text taught us that. Here's one I want you to think about. This one you need to really just lean into. A miserable Christian is a contradiction in terms. A miserable Christian is a contradiction in terms. How we sing matters. Worship is worth-ship. Worship is worth-ship. Do you come into the presence of the Lord? Do you come in the presence of God and smell an aroma of gratitude for all he's done? You see, praising God with gratitude is liberating. One of the people that, uh, there's two people that I love to watch worship. Ron Gallerini and Michael Premier. Praising God with Gratitude is liberating, it's freeing, it's trusting, and such praises empower all of us to persevere. That when the saints are singing, and they're seeing you go through something, and they're watching you praise, you are helping the church, you're helping your brothers and sisters to persevere. Worship is a community project. Obedience is the greatest proof of devotion. 
it has been said that happiness depends on what happens, right? Happiness depends on what happens. Joy depends on the Lord. And when we know what He's done for us, we can be joyful. We can be joyful. I want to talk to you about the aroma of love. And as this psalm concludes in verse 5, it says, we learn this, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, this is the aroma of love. Your pain never outpaces his love. Beloved, your difficulty is surrounded by the deeper reality of his goodness. This is what the psalmist is after. He's after you. So pause and consider what Christ, what God has done. What God has done. So what kind of people or, or, or what kind of church will persevere and overcome in the difficult day and age in which we live? What type of church will persevere against all of these earthly powers? we got a lot of them these days, don't we? Turn on your news. Jesus said these words, Beloved, you, Christian, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, it is no longer good for anything. Ray Ortland weighs in and says, How can the people of God stay tasty and good for something? Some Christians think that the answer is in politics. One pastor recently did a remake of the famous hymn on Christ the solid rock I stand. Here's how we changed it. My hope is built on nothing more than politics and culture war. I dare not trust in God for gospel truth, but wholly lean on voting booths. On party politics I stand, even though it's sinking sand. Even though Politics is an honorable and a noble calling. So don't miss me here. But if we as a church, if if we're longing after earthly power, then it really doesn't matter which party we're aligned with. We are lost. The greatest power in America today is coming down from above. Please say amen. Our power lies in a spirit of praise. We live in a world that many would say It's corrupt, it's bankrupt, 
this, that, and the other, and it's true. Oh, my goodness. I've got grandbabies. I've got kids. And, and our heart grieves. How much more should the saints come together and praise God? Trust God. Knowing that He has the power to bring revival to this nation. We don't get it by working a few extra hours, working your two-year plan. We get it when we humble ourselves and fall on our faces before a holy and a righteous God. And the church begins to repent and praise and thank Him for who He is and what He's done. And that's when things happen. This last Wednesday we had prayer night. I've said this for years. Please hear my heart here. I, I never want to be legalistic, but I've told you over and over again that the most important service we have at Lakeshore is the prayer night. Most churches in America don't have prayer nights because the pastor and the leaders would get so discouraged because a lot of people don't show up to it. That's not the case here. I was surrounded by a group of people in the front here. There was groups all around past, this past Wednesday, and I just watched us labor and praise God for who he is and what he was going to do. We touched heaven that day. But when it gets hard, praise him. There's nothing, I mean, if you knew he was going to come back next week, would you change your schedules or would you still tell him no? The sad part is many of you would say no. You still would tell him no because you don't know Jesus. You know of him. But he means nothing to you. But then there are those who know him and he means everything. And you look a lot more like Paul and Silas. There is a difference. Make sure that as you read a passage like this, you don't just read it. You beg God to help you to obey it. And he will. And I'm preaching for myself. In um, 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But the fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Our response, Christian, is different from those who have no hope. Jesus proved his love for us by sending his own son even in the pain of life. Even in the pain of life, we continue to lift up our hearts and our voices to the Lord. We joyfully applaud God. We joyfully sing. We sing ourselves into His presence. We know that God is good. We know that God has made us. We did not make Him. We know that we are His people and we are well-tended sheep. William McDonald said, so what is the password for entrance? thanksgiving and praise. No matter what your circumstance, give thanks to him, bless his name, because there is always a reason to thank God. And doing so, here it is, will transform you. Corey Dent Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, tells the story of being in a German concentration camp. The barracks in which her and her sister and, and hundreds other were in was a place that was ugly. They, they, couldn't, they, they were like on top of each other. 
and they were placed in these barracks for it was infested with fleas. And Corey's sister, Betsy, who was with her, said to Corey, how can we live in such a place? And yet Corey began to pray. Corey began, watch this, to thank God for the fleas. Her sister noticed that she was encouraged to also thank God for the fleas and said, there is no way, sister, even God can make me grateful for fleas. And Corey reminded her sister of God's word and says, Corey, give, I'm, so, so he said to her sister, give thanks in all circumstances, even in difficult ones like this. And Vance Christie writes, and I'll conclude with this, as the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than needing to go out on work duty each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with other seriously ill prisoners. She was a lightning fast knitter and usually had her daily sock, sock quota completed by noon. As a result of this, she had four, she had hours each day so she could spend going from platform to platform, going person to person, and reading the Bible to the fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected. The guards never seemed to venture far into the barracks. One evening, when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. She said, you know, we never understood why God had given us, we never understood why we had so much freedom in this room, Betsy said. Well, today I found out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, and we asked the supervisor to come in and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice, she explained, because of the fleas. That's why, because of the fleas, this place is crawling with fleas. And because of that, the guards would not go in. And many would hear the gospel and surrender to Christ. Let us do likewise through the power of the Holy Spirit.